This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Acts 17, 10 through 15. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul away to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So there was a pastor who didn't have the benefit of the mystery box. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine going to any church where Sunday morning was void of the mystery box? Well, uh, this pastor was looking for ways to engage children. So one morning in between services, he observed a little girl standing outside the preschool Sunday school classroom between Sunday school and worship, and she was waiting for her parents to pick her up from big church. The pastor noticed that she clutched a big storybook under her arm with the title, Jonah and the Whale. Feeling mischievous, I can't imagine that from a pastor. He knelt beside the girl and asked, What's that you have in your hand? This is my storybook about Jonah and the Whale, she answered. Tell me something, he continued. Do you believe that the story about Jonah and the whale is true? The little girl said, Well, pastor, of course I believe it. The pastor wanted to test her, so he inquired further. He says, You really believe that a man can be swallowed up by a big whale, stay inside of him all that time, and come out okay? She declared, Yes! This story's in the Bible, and we talked about it this morning in Sunday school. Then the pastor asked, Well then, can you prove to me that this story is true? She thought for a moment, and then she looked at him and said, Well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. (laughs) Finally, the pastor asked, Well, What if Jonah's not in heaven? The little girl stepped back. She put her hands on her hips and she sternly replied, Well then, Pastor, if Jonah's not in heaven, then you can ask him. (laughs) Wow. And I thought the mystery box was tough. But you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of a a quote 
from Thomas uh, Kempis, a, a priest and author from the Middle Ages. And this is what he said. He writes, Let not thy word, O Lord, become a judgment upon us, that we hear it and do it not, that we believe it and not obey it. And clearly this little girl had the the conviction that we hold here at Community Covenant Church. We believe in the centrality of the Word of God. That we go to the Word of God and we believe that in it, God provides direction for our lives, but that the Word of God is living and it fills our lives with life and light that we might faithfully follow our Savior Jesus Christ. And so we believe in the centrality of the Word of God. And way back when, uh, in the very beginning of what we know as our covenant church, uh, those first followers of Jesus in the covenant church were known to say these famous words, Where is it written? And over and over and over again, when we're facing um, decisions in life, whether it be at work or in family, uh, whether we're considering um, who to vote for on Tuesday in a mayoral runoff election, we want to filter the issues that we face in life. We want to filter the issues of culture through the Word of God that the Word of God would inform our lives and give us direction. And we would ask always, well, where is it written? And if that's not enough, to know that God wants to give us direction for our lives through His Word, then a survey by Tyndale House Publishers ought to also be encouragement. They found that reading the Bible promotes a positive outlook. Do you know that? It promotes a positive outlook. According to the study they commissioned with the Barna Research Group, they determined that 82% of regular Bible readers describe themselves as at peace compared to 58% of those who said they never read the Bible. 78% of regular Bible readers said they felt happy all or most of the time compared to 67% of non-readers. And then finally, 68% of regular Bible readers indicated that they were full of joy compared to 44% who said they never read the Bible. Eleanor Turnbill, a veteran missionary to Haiti, collected and translated the simple but powerful prayers of Christians who live in the Haitian mountains. Here are four prayers focusing on the power of God's Word in their lives. These are, these are beautiful. The first, our great physician, your Word is like alcohol. When poured on an infected wound, it burns and stings, but only then can it kill germs. If it doesn't burn, it doesn't do any good. Father, we are all hungry baby birds this morning. Our mouths 
Our hearts are gaping wide, waiting for You to fill us. Father, a cold wind seems to have chilled us. Wrap us in the blanket of Your Word and warm us. And then finally, the fourth prayer. Lord, we find Your Word like cabbage. Alaska has big cabbage. As we pull down the leaves, we get closer to the heart. And as we get closer to the heart, it is sweeter. Beautiful, beautiful prayers written by people from Haiti. And what a reminder of the power of God's Word to inform and to transform our lives. Uh, The Word of God is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. As we encounter Paul and Silas and Timothy and the good Dr. Luke on this Paul's second missionary journey this morning, we find about, we find a story about a group of people called the Bereans. And the Bereans are forever noted in the pages of Scripture as a group of people who in their day would have asked the question, where is it written? In fact, their response to the teaching of Paul and Silas and that missionary team um, was so notable that Luke records it here in the pages of Scripture. Now, you might remember last week we followed uh, Paul and, and his team uh, from uh, Asia Minor where they received the Macedonia call. And you remember they went to Philippi and that's in Macedonia and the establishment of that church was the first church established on the European continent, okay? And that is in the area today we know as Greece. And while they were there, they were teaching and it stirred up some people because there was a woman who had been filled with a demon. She was a fortune teller and she was profiting her owner. She would charge money to tell fortunes. She'd give the money to her owner. But when Paul cast the demon out of her, everything changed. And uh, she was no longer telling fortunes. And it cut the profit to her owner. So what did her owner do? You might recall last week, he uh, went with the uh, Rotary Club there in uh, the town. And he gathered up some of the businessmen at the chamber. And he said, you know what? These people are bad for business. Look what they're doing. Uh, they're spreading news of Jesus Christ and, and people are coming to faith and, and look what's happening. It's cutting into our profit margin. You remember we talked about that last week? That uh, the gospel changes things. The gospel changes things. The gospel changes individual lives. The gospel changes whole communities. The gospel indeed has changed the world, hasn't it? And there are those who are drawn towards the truth of the gospel, and there are those who, what, stand in opposition against it. And in Philippi, these businessmen gathered, and they took Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke before the town magistrates, and they complained that they were causing a disturbance in the town. You might remember then that Paul and Silas were singled out, they were beaten with rods, and they were thrown into prison. And while they were there locked in stocks... 
They began to pray and sing hymns to God. And as that began to happen, there was a violent earthquake that literally shook the foundation of the prison. And their chains were loosened and the prison doors were opened and they were set free. Now you might recall that the the Philippian jailer was afraid because he knew if the prisoners escaped, the penalty was death. So he was ready to fall on his sword. Just about that time, Paul shouted out, No, don't do that. And Paul was able to share with him. He asked, Well, what must I do to be saved? And of course, he heard the gospel. He responded that and his entire family. And so the the church at Philippi began with a a prayer meeting with a group of ladies down by the river, Lydia and, and her companions, and then moved into, what, the Philippi jail. And so we can actually say that the momentum and the impetus for the establishment of the church began with a jailhouse revival. Do you remember that from last week? And do you remember at that very critical point where Paul and Silas were, were locked in stocks and they were bound in prison, they had been beaten? Remember that they made a critical decision that changed the course of history. And you might recall last week I said, quoting Tim Hansel, that pain in life is inevitable, but misery is optional. Pain is a part of the human condition. But the good news is we get to choose whether or not we're going to be miserable. We talked about that last week. And Paul and Silas, rather than complaining, rather than choosing to be miserable, instead chose to pray, to worship, to sing hymns of praise to God. And that literally changed the trajectory of the Christian movement on the European continent. Because they made that choice. And so, eventually, they are released from prison and um, the magistrates and the town officials find out that uh, both of them uh, are, are Roman citizens. And what happened to them was literally a violation of Roman law. And uh, the magistrates were fearful that Philippi could lose its standing as a Roman colony. And so they apologized profusely for what they did. And then they just encouraged them to leave the town which is what happened. And so in our passage today, we find that they travel to really the capital uh, of Macedonia. It's a town called Thessalonica. Thessalonica has a population of over 200,000 people. And it's a very important center of commerce and of government. It's a seaport. And people from all over the world are traveling in and out and through. And so it's a place of influence. It's a place, if you want to take the gospel, boy, what a great place to take it. Because you know as people hear and receive, they're going to travel back to the other parts of the world where they're from. And that's exactly what Paul and Silas and Timothy are doing. And uh, as they're teaching, they go to the synagogue. Now, you might recall that's their practice. Uh, they'll go to a synagogue and they'll begin there. And of course, Paul begins to teach that Jesus is Messiah. And he uses the Old Testament scriptures uh, to reason with those in the synagogue, both Jews and Gentiles who are God-fearers. And so as he does that, the scripture says uh, there were a number who came to faith in Christ. But as that happens, lo and behold, it's just like in Philippi, things begin to get stirred up. 
And there are those in the in the town, there are Jews from the synagogue who go to the town officials and they say this, they say, listen, these men are literally stirring up, turning the world upside down. And we can't have this here. Now you might recall this coincides the same time in the in the, in the city of Rome, okay, Claudius is the emperor, and he had expelled the Jews from Rome, uh, saying that they were causing problems, that they were stirring up the empire, the city. And so it makes sense here that the officials in Thessalonica, when Paul and Silas and their companions came on their missionary journey as they preached the gospel and things began to stir up that they would say, look, look, these men are stirring things up. We must expel them just as Claudius did those in Rome. In fact, it says here in Acts chapter 17, um, beginning in verse 6, uh, They rushed to Jason's house. Now, Jason was a convert. And they were looking for Paul and Silas, the officials. And they rushed to Jason's house. But in verse 6 of chapter 17, it says, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, Listen to this now. These men who have caused trouble of all over the world have now come here. Now, here's the charge. They are all defying Caesar's decree saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Okay? There's the charge. They're claiming there's another king. One called Jesus. Okay? And so what happens? Jason and the others were taken into custody. Paul had already left the city. And uh, they were made to promise that they would stop and, and not stir up any, any more trouble, not create turmoil uh, in the community. So then we see our passage this morning in verse 17, or excuse me, chapter 17, verse 10. Now as we read it, it says that Paul and Silas, they went away to a town called Berea, also in Thessalonica, or excuse me, also in Macedonia, not far from Thessalonica. It wasn't a town that, that had great influence, but it did have a synagogue. And so what do Paul and Silas do? The same thing they've done before. Uh, they go to the Jewish synagogue and they begin to teach the gospel, arguing from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is Messiah. Verse 11, it says, Now the Berean Jews were more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now there's three things here that we see in these um, Bereans that we want to emulate. Three things that are consistent with being the kind of followers of Jesus who want to say, where is it written? That go to the Word of God, that seek guidance for our lives, that seek direction on, on, on important issues of the day. That we want to look here into God's Word, just as the Bereans did. 
uh, that as I teach on Sunday morning, that this would not be the only time that you would open your scripture and read, or that the only time you'd look on the screen would be uh, when you would be reading scripture from the screen. That you would take the things that I'm teaching, you'd take the passages that I present to you, and you'd go home and you would look. You'd say, where is it written? We want to make sure that what Pastor Todd is saying is, is consistent with the Word of God. We want to be Berean Christians, right? And so that's what's going on here. And so, three things. Number one, it says that they were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. What that really means, that nobility, was a humility. They were willing to acknowledge their need. And we need to be willing to acknowledge our need as followers of Jesus. That, that we're in need of God's Word in our lives. That we don't have all the answers. That there's a way that seems right to men and women, but given that own way, ultimately it will lead to our harm and to our destruction. That the Word of God is true. That we can trust in the Lord. What? With all of our heart. That we can lean not in our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge Him. And what will He do? The promise is that He will set our paths straight. The Bereans were of more noble character because they recognized their need for the Word of God in their lives. They recognized the importance of taking the Word of God and using it as a filter to make sure that what they were hearing, what they were being taught, the influences around them were consistent with what they understood the Scriptures to say. And when they were in conflict, what would they do? They would choose the path of Scripture. They would choose to follow the Word of God. They were of more noble character. They were willing to acknowledge their need. But then it goes on from there. Not only were they of more noble character, willing to acknowledge their need, but it says there in verse 11 that they received the message with great eagerness. They were, they were looking forward to hearing the message and to examining the Word of God, to encounter what God had to say. They were eager to hear from God. Not only did they acknowledge that they had a need, that they needed the wisdom of God in their lives, but they were eager to hear what God had to say. And that's the attitude that, that we need to approach Scripture. Even as we learned from Ben this morning, as, as the Holy Spirit, right, is the wind that fills the sail of our lives, that, that gives us the, the, the energy and the direction and the life to move us ahead in our, in our Christian life and walk. So we know that the Holy Spirit allows us to understand God's Word. And that as we approach God's Word, we're, we're eager that, that God wants to teach us through His Spirit things that will help us grow, things that will firmly establish us, that we might live wholeheartedly for Christ. And so they were willing to acknowledge their need and they were eager, eager to hear from God. And that's the same eagerness that we should have as each of us approaches God's Word. But not only were they willing to acknowledge their need, 
Not only were they eager to hear from God, but they're willing to act on what it is they receive. You know what the Scripture said? In response to the teaching of Paul, they searched the Word to make sure that what Paul was saying was true, but look at the result. They acknowledged their need. They were eager to hear from God and His Word. And right there, in verse 12, it says, Many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Not only did they receive, but they were willing to act upon what it was they received. That as they acknowledged their their need for the Word of God, as they looked to the Word of God with eager anticipation of what God would teach them, then they responded to the message God had for them. And and all three of those things are important for us if we want to be Berean Christians. That you and I need to declare our dependence upon God. And one of the ways we do that is over and over and over again going to the Word of God to encounter Him, to listen to what He wants to teach us through His Holy Spirit. Because the, the things of God are only understood through the Spirit of God. And as the Spirit of God teaches us as we we eagerly anticipate that then that you and I would respond even as these Bereans did Jew and Greek alike to the message that God has for us that's so very very important as we consider what happened in Berea And as we consider that the gospel stirs things up, it 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 turns literally things upside down. It informs and it transforms our lives. Uh, We can anticipate, as Paul and Silas and and Timothy and and those first missionaries, that there's going to be opposition. We've read about that. It seems like week after week after week, as we read in the book of Acts, as the Word of God goes forth, there's opposition. In John 15, 20, Jesus said this, reminding His disciples of this. He says, Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Now, remember also that as Paul leaves Thessalonica, as again things are stirred up, there are Jews that come uh, to Berea, and they leave Berea. He goes to Athens, but he leaves Silas and Timothy behind to help establish the new believers in Berea. We know later on that Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, And he reminds them of the opposition that he experienced and that Jason and others who were the first followers of Jesus in Thessalonica, what they experienced. And so we want to look at Acts chapter 17 as it talks about the missionary movement of God in in Macedonia and Thessalonica and then in Berea. And then we can take it back and we can look at Paul's letter 
to the Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 2, he's reminding them of the beginning of their church. He says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared tell you this gospel in the face of strong opposition. They didn't let opposition to the gospel deter them from the gospel mission. And then later on, he commends them that those first believers in Thessalonica would follow his example. That even though there was opposition in the town, in the city, from those who opposed the gospel, they continued on in their faith and the the church was established. He writes in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so we are reminded today that as we seek to follow the Word of God, as we seek Christ and His priorities in the world, as we are committed to asking the question, where is it written, and then oriented the compass of our life to true north, the direction that God gives through His Word, that we're going to encounter opposition. That our lives are going to be different. They're going to be countercultural. That we're going to approach life differently. And people are going to look at that. And there are some people going to be drawn to it. And there are other people who are going to oppose it. But we can't let that opposition keep us from being people of the Word. We can't let that opposition, right, keep us from asking the question, where is it written? And then when we see where it's written, living in accordance to the authority of the Word of God. Finally, near the end of his life, Paul writes to young Timothy, whom he mentored in the faith. Timothy is Paul's protege. You might recall that Timothy came to faith uh, in Paul's first missionary journey. He had a very godly mother and grandmother. And now Paul, who is near the end of his life, he knows his death is imminent, is writing to Timothy to remind him of of what is most important. And this is what he says. First, uh, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter three, verses fourteen through seventeen. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he concludes with this. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. On May 7th, 1915, the RMS Lusitania, a British ocean liner, was struck by a torpedo from a German submarine. The ship sank in a matter of minutes, killing 1,198 of the 1,959 passengers 
aboard. In her book entitled An Epic Tragedy, Diana Preston records the observations of one passenger, a bookseller named Charles Lorett. This is what Lorett said. As the ship was sinking and as Lorett looked around to see who needed life jackets, he noticed that among the crowd now pouring on the deck, nearly everyone who passed him was wearing a life jacket but had it on incorrectly. In his panic, one man had thrust one arm through an armhole and his head through the other. Others rushed past wearing the life jackets upside down. No one had read the neat little signs posted all about the deck, all around the ship, telling passengers how to put their life jackets on. Laura tried to help, but some thought he was trying to take their life jackets from them and fled in terror. The author, Preston, continues, Dead and drowning persons were dotting the sea like seagulls. Many bodies were actually floating upside down because the people had put their life jackets on the wrong way up so that their heads were pushed into the water. How often do you and I ignore the signs and the counsel and the wisdom that's present in God's Word and live with our life jackets the wrong way up? We have the Word of God. We believe in the centrality of the Word of God. God gives us guidance for life in His Word. We need to read His instructions for life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning that we can learn from the Bereans. They acknowledged that they had a need for Your wisdom. And so they... They approached Your Word daily with eagerness. And not only that, Lord, they were willing to act and respond to what Your Word was calling them to do. Father, we thank You that we are a people of Your Word, that we believe in the centrality of Scripture. Father, we pray that we would approach Your Word with eagerness, that that we would ask, where is it written? And that what Your Word says, Lord, would inform how we live our lives. Father, in each of our lives, we pray that your word would touch us, inform us, and transform us according to your plan for us. Lord, this morning, we want to commit ourselves to being people of your word. That if nothing else can be said about us at Community Covenant Church, it might be said of us that we are a people who ask, where is it written? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.